Well, this is my last sermon as your interim senior pastor. But I think I'm on the schedule for the end of January, so I'll be back in the pulpit soon. Thanks. Thank you. So, When's the last time that someone invited you to follow them into a situation without much explanation and simply said, trust me. That can be a scary thing. It can be an inviting thing. I'm sure that's happened to everyone here. I'm thinking back over my life, certainly uh, being asked to be the interim senior pastor. Trust me, it'll be fine. But I remember uh, one occasion when I was in college, I was a freshman, and there was a young lady that I was a little interested in, and uh, she had some friends who were going out on a little road trip. And they pulled up and said, hey, come with us. Trust us. It's going to be fun. I had no idea what I was getting into. An hour and a half later, we had gone from Baylor and we in Waco, Texas. We found ourselves in College Station at Texas A&M, our hated rival, and the guys in the car had brought wrenches and uh, various tools to steal the street signs at Texas A&M. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I, I knew like cow tipping, I, you know, was a big thing in Texas, but stealing street signs to just take them back to your dorm um, was apparently fun. Um, so I got into what I didn't realize, and I didn't steal any, and the statute of limitations has probably expired if I did. But another story in that same realm, I remember uh, a woman that used to go to our church many years ago went to visit her daughter, who lived in South Africa at the time, is spending a semester or two, and uh, the daughter wanted her mom to experience one of the best parts of South Africa. So I, the, I'm not sure exactly how the conversation went, but I got the feeling it was something like, trust me, we'll just go and you'll love it. And before she knew it, she had signed her life away on a waiver, paid a lot of money, and was strapped in, ready to bungee jump from the Blaukens Bridge, which is known as the world's highest bungee jump from a bridge. She did it. We saw, we saw video. It was great for us. Now, there are a lot of situations, aren't there, in life where we're asked to trust someone. You don't know where you're going. don't necessarily know what you'll be doing. Uh, no idea how it's going to turn out, whether you'll be way outside of your comfort zone or not. You just know that someone wants you to step out in faith and trust that what they've promised will be true. How many of you have been set up on a blind date by a friend who just assures you, trust me, deep down he's a really great guy? Or uh, parents, we have to sometimes talk our kids into going to the doctors. Trust me, it'll be over before you know it. It won't be that painful. Or we have to talk them into attending some social event with us. Trust me, it'll be better than staying home. You'll meet new people. And they never really believe us. Sometimes husbands or wives have to convince each other to trust them. Such as when a husband takes a new career or a new job. Honey, I'm quitting my law practice to become an actor. 
so that I'll be happier, be fulfilled. Trust me, finances will work themselves out, right? So sometimes you're rewarded when you follow along and it turns out that your trust was well-placed. And other times you get burned and greatly regret trusting that person. And your willingness to trust someone, I think, is based on what you know of their character and as well as the depths of what you're being asked to enter into. A man named Abraham was asked to trust God even though the circumstances seemed impossible. Abraham had no tangible evidence or reasons to know that what God was promising would happen. So he had to trust God's character. His belief and trust, we're going to find out, saved him. They provide the pattern for us as we look back. This morning's text is Paul's explanation several thousand years later after the events that he describes about the meaning and importance of Abraham's faith in God. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3, 5 through 9. And also we have Matthew 1, 1. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this Advent series as we've looked at Christ and his relationship to Adam, to David now to Abraham, to his parents and his earthly lineage. God, teach us the lessons from Abraham's life. Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to understand what you have in this passage and how uh, we are saved through our faith in you. Amen. Now we are sort of jumping into passages this month, whereas we normally work straight through. So we haven't really built a foundation. And if you haven't been in the book of Galatians in a while, let me give you a little context. It's Paul's message to those who taught that Christianity was about keeping the Jewish law. So if you remember, the early church, Christianity was built and spread from Jewish roots but it was very intent on including the Gentiles, non-Jews. And so it, it got messy. As the, the, the Jews who had believed in Yahweh all along didn't really understand that Christianity was a new covenant, new wineskins. They wanted to enforce the old religion, the old wineskins, the old covenant. They weren't sure how to make 
the transition. And so Paul is urging them to find the new faith and to understand it. And he urged that believers now have freedom from the Jewish law because we are saved by our faith. And so requiring Christians, believers, to be obedient to the law as necessary for salvation in addition to faith in Christ is a different gospel, Paul says. It's no gospel at all. So what we deal with in in our passage, just these uh, five verses in Galatians today, is, is one of Paul's points to his argument. Very simply that the life of Abraham is proof that salvation is by faith. So I just want to take, we're just going to work through the verses. We haven't been in Galatians. Let's one at a time, which we don't usually do. We take themes or points, but verse 5 starts the argument. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul starts with the dichotomy of the of faith and works. And we wonder, why is there so much written in the New Testament about faith and works? Why is it so important to work through and be clear that salvation is by faith alone, not by works? And I'm always reminded that human beings strive to justify ourselves. We want to work for salvation rather than trusting Christ to do all the work for us. And essentially, I think what we're saying is no thanks, Jesus. I know that you lived a perfect life and died on the cross to save me, but it can't be that easy. I have to do something to earn it, to justify myself. What you did is great, but it can't be enough. But here Paul points out is the continued message that God works through our faith in him and in Christ's works, not by our ability to keep the law and to act right. And so Paul continues in this question, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham believe? What's this referring to? I mean, over the course of his lifetime, Abraham had to trust God in a lot of things. But this quote is referring to a miraculous birth that God promised him. Now, over Christmas, in my Christmas Eve homily, we were reminded again of Luke's account of John the Baptist's birth. And remember, his mother, Elizabeth, was a barren woman who was beyond childbearing years. But the original, older, barren woman in Scripture with a miracle baby was thousands of years before that, Sarah, Abraham's wife. And the Lord had a miraculous plan. Let's look again at Genesis 15, verse 6. No, 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, 
and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God was saying, essentially, Listen, Abram, remember his name is changed later, Abraham. I know that you don't have any kids and that you and your wife are way too old to start having them. But it's going to happen anyways. You're not going to have to rely on someone else's child to be your heir. You will be having your own son who will carry on your line. One day, your descendants will be too numerous to count. And Abram just says, okay, I believe, Lord. And so as Paul points us back to that account, he's making it clear that justification by faith or being saved by our faith is not a new concept. It's as old as God's dealings with his people. Abraham had been justified by faith by believing in what God said and who God was. He believed what he knew about God, and God counted him as righteous because of that faith. Not that his faith didn't waver. It clearly did. If you remember the the life of Abraham, he waits a while, and his wife is not getting pregnant, so he tries to help God and impregnates her servant. And God rebukes him. And you may think, well, then they're done. He's not going to deliver on that promise. No, God still delivers, brings him the promised child, Isaac, born to Sarah. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul is intent, he's essentially doing the same thing that he does in some of the later chapters of Romans. He says that it is not your racial inheritance and obedience to Jewish law that makes you a son of Abraham. It's having faith in God and by extension faith in Christ that makes you a son of Abraham and part of the faith. This is wonderful news because it means that we're not saved by what we do. We're freed from the works of the law, saved by our faith in Christ. It's how it's always been and it's how it will always be. In verse 8, he continues, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Um, The Old Testament is the record of Israel. Abraham's descendants, remember he's the first who begins, the Hebrew people, growing in number and interacting with God, each other, 
nations and tribes around them. That's the whole story, progressive story through the Old Testament. And the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed because of him was twofold. There's sort of the immediate promise that his descendants, the Jewish nation, would be God's people, and they would model God's ways in the lands where they were and bless the people of their day. But we know that the, the gospel is also heard in that, and that's the second promise, second part of the promise, that Jesus would be his descendant, and Jesus would come and bless all people through all times. So then, Paul's conclusion in this short pericope, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in case there's any confusion about how people have been saved throughout history, let me just make three statements to clear it up. Believers who lived before Jesus were saved by their faith in him. Believers who lived in Jesus' day were saved by their faith in him. And believers who have lived since Jesus' life are saved by their faith in him. You ask, well, how did believers who lived before Jesus, who had no idea who he was, what he was going to do, how are they saved by faith in him? And the scriptures say they believed God, they believed his promises, and they looked forward to the coming Messiah. Now, we have a great blessing having lived after Jesus because we have the historical record of his life, his death, his resurrection. We know the specifics of what we are putting our faith in. Old Testament believers looked forward in faith. And as we work through the book of Hebrews this coming year, particularly as we get to Hebrews 11, we'll be studying this idea more. But Paul is clear. Embrace faith in God just like the man of faith, our forefather, Abraham, did. We're saved the same way. Now, as we move into some practical application, we need to separate and think about, I'm talking here, of two kinds of faith. The first one is saving faith, in which you put your trust in Jesus to save you once and for all. And then there is the ongoing life of faith, choosing to trust God with every part of your life. And the scriptures urge you forward in both areas. But let's get real practical on what it looks like when we actually trust God, because there's a sense in which every sin we commit has some foundation in an area where we don't really trust God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it in those terms. But if you misunderstand who God is and think that he's unavailable, uninvolved, uncaring, maybe vindictive, or some misunderstanding or distortion of who you think God is, then you won't trust him. 
and you won't obey what he asks of you. Let me give you a few examples. If you don't trust that God has given you everything you need, and he is a God who provides, you will be tempted to steal, to cheat on your taxes, play the lottery, find some other way other than working hard and getting paid for it. You'll be scared you never have enough. You may not even recognize enough when it comes. But if you trust God as the provider, you'll be secure in your finances. Another area, if you don't trust God that his plan for marriage is best for you, then you'll be tempted to engage in premarital or extramarital relationships. When your business collapses or you go into bankruptcy or something bad happens to a child, if you do not trust the character of God and his redeeming love, then you will despair. One member of our congregation had major car troubles, which were major money troubles. And he said that he learned what to do in that situation. Recite Psalm 20 and remind himself that money and car troubles are nothing in the light of God's promises of salvation and provision. He understood. Because ultimately, when you trust the character of God, you'll do whatever he asks. You'll gladly follow his commands in scriptures because obedience flows out of belief and trust. God, do you want me to turn the other cheek when someone hits me? That's just a good way to have two black eyes, right? But because I trust you, I'll do it. You want me to tithe, Lord? You know I don't make much money and that we're, we've kind of stretched ourselves financially, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you my first fruits. You want me to be only be yoked in marriage to another believer? But my heart is telling me that I really love this girl who doesn't believe in you. But you know what? I know that you know what's best for me, so I'm going to break it off with her. You want me to forgive people who wrong me? You want me to find joy in the affliction and persecution that I'm experiencing? Okay, it doesn't come natural. I don't want to. But because I love you and trust you as my father, I will do it. Again, our study of Hebrews, I'm excited, we start next week, will remind us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's trust that is rooted in believing that God is the perfect loving Father who knows what is best for you and is leading every step in life saying, trust me. William Herschel was a young man growing up in Germany in the mid-18th century. Probably haven't heard of him. 
But he fought for his country, for Germany, in battles. But at one point he became so horrified by the battles and fighting that he deserted his unit. And he fled to England because he knew he'd be arrested and killed if he stayed. He pursued his studies and actually became quite famous for both his musical abilities and his scientific discoveries. However, England had a new king arrive one year, whose name was George, who was German. And King George knew William's past and how he should have been arrested and killed for deserting the German army. So he summoned William to the palace, and William obeyed with great fear. And as he was sitting outside the throne room in the chamber, William was handed a note that read, I, George, pardon you for your past offenses against our native land. And not only was William not pronounced guilty, but George went farther, granted him a knighthood for all that he accomplished, and they became a friend of the king's. William Herschel was granted righteousness that he did not earn. Abraham was granted righteousness that he did not earn. You and I are granted righteousness that we did not earn. Instead of being declared guilty of all the sinful things that we've done, instead of earning the just punishment for our selfish destructive ungodliness, we are pardoned. And we're not just pardoned and left alone. We're embraced by the great love of the King. We are adopted as his sons and daughters. We are given an invitation to eat at his table for the rest of eternity. Now there was another time in his life when Abraham had to trust God in a very difficult situation. God told him to take his son, the one that was the fulfillment of the promise, and kill him as a burnt offering. Apparently, without hesitation, Abraham marched his son up to a mountain, prepared an altar, and bound his son and was ready to kill him in obedience to God's command. Genesis does not tell us how Abraham felt. He just sort of follows along. But Hebrews 11 says that he had so much faith in God's character that he figured God would raise Isaac from the dead. But God stopped him and provided a different sacrifice. But Abraham's faith, again, showed through. And God took his only son, Abraham's descendant, up to a mountain to die. But rather than stop and provide a different sacrifice as he had allowed in Isaac's case, God allowed Jesus to be killed because he was the ultimate sacrifice. His death is the ransom that pays the penalty for your sin, for my sin, 
and makes us acceptable in God's sight. Believe in that and your faith will be counted as righteousness. And the righteous shall live by faith. Take, take a moment, a few minutes, to pray, and I will close us in prayer.